0: everyone and welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that covers every single horror movie franchise, one movie and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by our fearless crew. First up, Jerry Smith, Jerry. on a scale of one to five, how fantastic are you
1: doing today? A one to five, I'd say about maybe a uh, four. I I I think I'd be at five, and you said fearless, but I'm full of fear right now because my neighbors are doing karaoke, Mm -hmm. and I I live in the most thuggish street in my city. Like, Mm -hmm. every neighbor uh, probably went to prison at least at one point of their life, and they're doing – they're following up Post Malone with Reba McIntyre, so I'm kind of wondering what the hell is going on. But other than that, (laughs) Poltergeist Street,
0: (laughs) You need to go and join in on some of that. Uh, (laughs) Dude, I, I
1: feel like it, man. You know, are you friends with any of your neighbors or <laughs> the only uh, I not even a friend or even acquaintance? But there's one neighbor that talks to me every once in a while and he never wears a shirt and he always <laughs> he always has that never wears a shirt and always wears like fluorescent green, like like I, sunglasses. And mm-hmm. I just call him shirts because he never wears one. And I, yeah. I've lived here for about two years almost and I still don't know this guy's name. But oh. every day I go, every time I check out the trash, he'll tell me like how his his kids got taken away. Oh. and uh math is not as strong
0: <laughs> we know like he's okay wow i didn't you know, expect to go there but all right uh, That's good to know so you're living in the middle of a breaking bad episode which is great. Oh, i am. i am. we have like the neighbors next to us like we called them one time cuz like they own this pool company and we their obviously their phone numbers on the side of all their trucks um all the cars in our neighborhood got broken into, um, so I called them to like leave them a message, like, "Hey, you know, I don't know if you guys, if it happened to you guys." And I left them a message, and we had our windows open, and the house, like the, the yards, are close enough where they're pretty loud, um, and we're like, "I don't know," some dude who lives near left us a message about robberies, like total assholes about it, like instead of being like, "Oh." You know, like they kind of warned us, maybe we should lock our shit up so it doesn't get stolen. They were <laughs> like, like the "Who's this to you
1: about you?" yeah,
0: like, who's <laughs> this asshole' trying to tell us to be safe in the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> so needless to say, we don't really talk to them very That's much. So. Up next, we have Veronica. Veronica, what's going on?
2: Hey, hi. So um, what's the meth
0: like in your building?
2: <laughs> uh, honestly, we don't get busted for meth here, but we do get busted for weed a lot, which still isn't legal recreational in New York State, oh, so... Oh yeah so we get um i'm in an apartment building and it's always our one particular building that gets the notes above our mailbox that says we smell weed building six i'm like aw (laughs) (laughs) stop smoking weed in the laundry room building Mm -hmm. six like this scolding (laughs) finger (laughs) wave
0: (laughs) we have we actually have like Kids smoking weed at the school I work at, and they're like middle school kids. Uh, Massachusetts. Oh my god! Like it was like a Cheech and Chong set. <laughs> one week it was bad, and I have an awful sense of smell, and I was like, "Holy cow!"
1: Like someone is definitely holding some good stuff. See, I can't <laughs> judge that. I can't judge that because I got expelled in eighth grade for for buying uh, a half joint from a kid. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. And now we have Brian. Brian, what's going on?
3: Um, Hey, I'm here. Good to be here. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I can't top any of that. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) So we are here to talk. We're here to basically round up our round out our coverage of the original Poltergeist trilogy tonight with 1988's Poltergeist 3. Um, Directed by Gary Sherman This was a first time watch for me Like I think we talked in the first episode How aside from watching the first movie A bunch as a kid I don't really have a great affinity For this series in any way Um, But I, spoiler alert Enjoyed this a little Hmm. bit more than I expected to Uh,
1: Three?
2: Good Yeah (laughs) Nice,
1: that's awesome That's sweet all along, right that's okay. our show <laughs> uh yeah no honestly like i i give poltergeist 3 so much shit uh and rightfully so mm. but uh because it's a trap no i'm just kidding but uh no but i i think there is a lot of really cool things about it and we'll probably get into it in the episode i mean i i the special effects are like mind-blowingly great mm. so yeah, yeah i'm excited for this episode mm-hmm. so
0: where do we want to start with this one, I guess? I want to start with some positive things. I mean, the big thing about this movie is it moves the location out of the suburbs to Chicago. Um, and it was filmed in Chicago, so right on site. Um, and it, aside from Carol Ann, it no longer focuses on the Freelings.
1: Well, yeah, and one... I think one of the good things I I do like about the the movie is that it did take the story out of the suburbs. Because, I mean, you know, we already had two films on that. So, I mean, I think a a change is welcomed. Uh, You know, maybe the execution isn't what I had hoped for. But I I think that that decision to take it somewhere else, you know, a big city and that kind of thing, it lends itself to like this really extravagant movie that it ended up being. So, I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. with that.
2: Yeah, it's almost like a soft reboot and it because um, it takes Caroline and it puts her in another situation and it's so like I don't want to get into the negatives but I I can use a negative and spin it into a positive here where um Poltergeist 1 and 2 are so warm and welcoming Poltergeist 3 is just in your face, we are being cold and we are being mm-hmm. sterile and it's it's such a shift from the first two that if you're not expecting it, it's uh it, oof, it, it, it it's like it's that accidental, you know, taking it from behind. You know, I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> it's like, wow, what a shift you guys. Like you just you're not expecting it going in and then all of a sudden it's just this environment that's like that's you're just not used to. It's not that cozy Spielberg family suburb, right? That you get in in 1982's Poltergeist. This is 1988 now. Things are a little crazier. Mm-hmm they're yeah, in the warmth yeah the know is like, just there's such gone. warmth in the
1: first two movies and the, mm-hmm. and the one the third one i mean at like i said i love the skyscraper or the the you know building thing i like that whole aesthetic i love the effects but the warmth i think is one of the things that takes me out of it and i'm not trying to get too negative right from the bat but uh that warmth is replaced with like like you said uh coldness you know yeah. mm-hmm.
2: the movie super I mean, self-aware about it right like oh no
1: totally it's
2: so and- sterile it addresses the coldness when caroline's in the room everything's colder when caroline comes into their life everything's colder mm-hmm. even going from um being called aunt trish which is warm and friendly and freeling she's like i'd like to be aunt pat now i run an art gallery now so no, it just totally. it's very much like hey we're cold get used to it
1: that ends, I mean it's almost – there's also a positive to that too because we've had two films of that warmth, of that uh, familial bonds. And this movie uh, in a lot of ways – and it might sound weird – reminds me of films like Halloween 4 and that kind of stuff where those two films – the first two films, the Poltergeist movies, they were about the family kind of – Learning what it is to be like, you know, a really tight family, what they mean to each other. This movie, uh, Carol Ann, I mean, she's the main the main character, but in a lot of ways, it's about Pat, you know, Nancy Allen's character, mm-hmm. kind of discovering how to be, you know, a caretaker. You know, the, the film is it, it her kind of journey in a lot of ways to me. Kind of is reminiscent of Rachel's uh, journey in Halloween 4. Mm-hmm. You know, like, kind of against the idea of Jamie in Halloween 4 and throughout the film and all these things that she has to go through, learns to protect this girl. And I, yeah. I think that's one of the really great things about Poltergeist 3 is that kind of arc and that journey. Right. Well, getting
0: back to the coldness briefly before we dive into that, like, I would, I find this setting like utilitarian overall sure, and i find yeah. what's interesting in in this movie when compared to to the original poltergeist both settings are presented as some sort of ideal that one would strive towards and I think you see the difference in six years in terms of what is actually valued, valued overall, because in the first movie, you have this like sprawling suburb where everything looks the same, everything is modern, everything is up to date. Um, and it's a kind of community that everybody wanted to get into. So this idea of like, let's keep up with the Joneses overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something to aspire to. I think at one point they say, like we've already built. Four stages of this. Now we're going to move on to stage number five. And there's that line uh, in the movie that um, Craig T. Nelson has where he's like, you know what they say, like the grass is always greener on every side. Like there's this like Mm -hmm. sameness to it. And here with this skyscraper, you have this community where you don't really have any reason to actually leave the building if you are a certain person. Like, you have these upper floors that are complete kind of penthouse apartments. Um, You have these middle floors where it's all business offices. And then you have this, like, sprawling shopping mall in there with, like, grocery stores and clothing stores and everything you would need. So if, if you're of a certain person you would never have to leave that building for any reason whatsoever. And Mm. that's also kind of presented as this ideal. Like, it's presented as this really, um, you know, kind of fancy pants, upper class, really 1% ideal for people to strive to. And I think it's also interesting that it's, let's face it, like, it's a very white environment.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: I think Mm -hmm. the only... Two persons of color I can recall from the movie are the art gallery manager who does not live in that building because she's Mm -hmm. seen leaving it at one point, and the custodian. And that's really it. Everyone else in this movie is a white dude or a white woman.
1: Oh, totally. And that, and uh, uh, another thing that maybe. Uh, is a factor of me really, or this movie not really resonating with me is kind of like we've said in the previous episodes, I kind of connected with the the Freelings in the first two movies. You know, that was very much, you know, what I grew up in kind of thing. Uh, this movie, I mean, you know what I mean? I didn't surround myself with a lot of pretentious art people no. who were kind of like their <laughs> noses in the air. No.
2: So it, it's kind of
1: hard, it's kind of hard for me to feel for those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, think- I also. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say that, you know, the first two films, you know, the first one written by Spielberg and the other duo that co-wrote the first one and they wrote the second one, it's very much the same kind of aesthetic. And I think what's interesting about Poltergeist 3 is the three people that wrote it. I mean, uh, you know, Brian Taggart had previously... I mean, this is the guy that wrote visiting hours of you know of unknown or of unknown origins uh you know wanted dead or alive very eclectic mix gary sherman had done vice squad which is the sleaziest fun movie around (laughs) and steve steve fake who was uncredited but he did a big rewrite this is the man who fucking wrote mac and me guys so i mean these are the people that wrote poltergeist 3 and i think that kind of like Crazy background that all three of them had makes for kind of like this Alice in Wonderland kind of like crazy movie Mm -hmm. that even though it doesn't hit its mark for me, uh, I still admire just the different Mm -hmm. aesthetic and the weird off the rails direction that it went.
0: Well, Taggart even – if you have the um, Scream Factory Blu-ray of Poltergeist 3, which I do recommend if you are a collector of these movies, it's a pretty – it's a great transfer. There are some pretty good X bonus features Mm -hmm. on it as well. Taggart Mm -hmm. says in the interview with him that what pulled him into the movie when he asked Sherman, like, what's your hook? He's like, "Through Alice, through the looking glass Mm -hmm. is the hook that he had for the movie, so I think that's a pretty astute observation right there, is that is the kind of vibe you get from this movie.
2: That
1: so, the, I mean, the use of mirrors mm-hmm.
0: is just Oh so
2: yeah. Awesome.
1: Yeah. You know, like, I, those are always my favorite kind of uh, uh, sequences in films. Is like, you know, uh, you know, it's in Birds of Prey, this really awesome sequence involving mirrors and stuff. You know, we had It Chapter 2, which had, I think, one of its best scenes in that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it adds kind of disorienting uh, you know, kind of aesthetic to it. And I, I think that the use, uh, the you know, how much Poltergeist 3 uses mirrors and stuff, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
2: it's interesting, the mirror image, right? Because, I mean, the movie itself gets into it, but also if you just think about the Freelings versus the, the the environment now, right? Where you go from suburbia to high high rise in Chicago, where you go from the warm, loving mother to the kind of colder sister the aunt or the realtor out in california to the property manager in in chicago like the failing realtor to the successful property manager it's just the entire movie is a mirror image of the first two movies
1: oh totally i think it's different aspect and I, I you know i think it's it's too much of a coincidence to just be a coincidence i, I yeah. feel like they really went out of their way to show the flip side to what we'd already seen and For i, I sure. think that's something I appreciate about it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think what? for me, the warmest, the warmest person in the whole film. I mean, even Carol Ann to me didn't seem that warm, but it was um, it was Donna, and it's easy to remember her name because she's Donna um, Lara Flynn Boyle from uh, I mean everything, but Twin Peaks. She was Twin also Donna. Yeah, practice. yeah. Um, but she was the warmth of the movie, and I remember watching this as a teen, and um, it felt very—I mean, not so much, but it felt pretty John Hughesy when she was off with her friends, like sneaking into the pool and and you know getting into some mischief, and then suddenly the 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 mirror happened, and mm-hmm. and it, it fell away from that. But I think for me, the person I connected most with was was Donna. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about the cast, because this is a pretty baller cast for a movie that's not very well (laughs) regarded. Um, You have Tom Skerritt, probably best known as Dallas from Alien. Um, And kind of like an everyman. Like, he's just, I mean, like, this guy's been in hundreds of things and is one of the all-time best, I would know, or most recognized character actors. Mm -hmm. You have... Nancy Allen, probably best known as Officer Ann Lewis from the RoboCop trilogy overall, mm-hmm. uh, RoboCop's partner. Uh, and a young Lara Flynn Boyle, uh, who would go on to like uh, fame in Twin Peaks and The Practice. She's had a very illustrious television career. Um, I remember like when I first started watching this, I didn't quite recognize her. And I thought it was the woman who played uh, Michael J. Fox's girlfriend in... Back to the future for a moment until I, you know, then like it snapped into place, oddly enough.
3: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and,
0: oh, Richard Fire uh, Who right? plays Dr. Seaton, Is one of the co-writers Of Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer Really? That, is, wow. that
2: blew my mind when yeah. I read that Because he is such a theatrical Actor mm-hmm. in this yeah. movie <laughs> For him to have co-written Henry Was, it blew my fucking mind <laughs> Yeah,
0: I mean, if you You know, for folks that have not Seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Just get yourself, you know, a tear, you know, like a handkerchief and some soap. After Um, that, just remains one of my all-time favorite, just grimy movies to watch. So, you know, his biggest claim to fame, I guess, he was in twenty-two episodes of ER. Oh, not ER, the show we know and love, but it looks like a soap opera as well (laughs) from the (laughs) early '80s. But no, his best, um, best best-known thing would be. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in 1986. But yep, he's... And he makes a great, smarmy...
2: Oh, yeah. Villain.
0: yeah not even a villain, but just asshole in this movie. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, him versus um, Zelda <laughs> or Tangina. It's, it's such... I would pay to just watch hours back-to-back back of these two trading quips. Mm-hmm. It was fun.
0: It would well, be like the whitest rap battle of all time. <laughs>
1: And I mean, I I love that kind of uh, little secondary villain in a lot of '80s horror films. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's always like the the doctor who's a real fucking prick. You know, whether it's him or uh, the doctor in Child's Play, or I mean, you know, uh, Terry uh, God, what's his name? Uh, you know, the guy that played Bernie in the Weekend at Bernie's. You know, in Friday Thirteenth mm-hmm. Seven, Terry Kaiser. You know, mm-hmm. like i I've, I love those movies in the eighties, you know, where like you have a you have the main antagonist, but you also have this little prick that's trying to like screw stuff up too. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And you know, I was I was reading I can't even remember the piece now, and I'm sorry that I forgot it. I'm a terrible librarian, but somebody was writing it was a blog, so it wasn't um An article, but it was a blog that somebody was writing where they were kind of getting you to side with Dr. Seaton in the fact that Dr. Seaton is the man in the middle of the theater when you're watching Poltergeist 1 who stands up and says these ghosts aren't real. Steven Spielberg made these up. And then in Poltergeist 3, you as the audience are Dr. Seaton and you know that Carol Ann brought these from Poltergeist 1. It was a really interesting article to try to justify Mm -hmm. the merits of Poltergeist 3. It Mm -hmm. didn't win me, but it was cool to read.
0: <laughs> excellent so we you know, discuss a little bit about the coldness of this movie overall but one note I made um, I very much liked the family dynamic between Bruce, Patricia, Donna and Carol Ann in this movie because I did find overall that everybody was very accepting of Carol Ann um, I kind of got the impression going into this that she had been kind of pawned off on The an aunt didn't want her, and like a step uncle that didn't want her. But I found them to be like very Mm -hmm. accepting of her overall. And the film doesn't lean into what would have been a very easy trope, where. Nancy Allen plays a domineering stepmother to Laura Flynn Boyle's Donna. Like they actually had a very warm relationship Mm -hmm. between the two of them. You know, they're like sharing makeup, and they're like kind of joking with one another. You know, Um, it was
2: so warm. It took me a minute um, rewatching this to remember what the family dynamic was because no mm -hmm. one's no one's introduced, and you Mm -hmm. just kind of have to fall into it. And it it didn't fall into the trope. You're right. So it was a little Mm -hmm. hard for me to recognize who was. Who yeah. and where the players stood.
1: It well, that almost, I mean, uh, I I think I think my biggest problem with the movie is that no, it doesn't make you know uh, Pat and Bruce and all them like the kind of like asshole villainish kind of family members. It kind of I think in a lot of ways it kind of betrays the Freelings as we saw them in the first two films because mm-hmm. I think after yeah. a family after a family had gone through that much. I don't think they would have sent Carol Ann off. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the thing that it's hard for me. It's hard for me to divorce my feelings for the first two films uh, from the, the third one, because it's like, no, I don't think that, you know, Steve and Diane would have done that. Like, it seems like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, our kid had to deal with ghosts mm-hmm. twice in a row. But hey, we're gonna send them yeah. off. So maybe my sister might have to deal with it. Like, that's,
3: to that's me, it feels like to me, it feels like you know we we really want to make a third movie, but we don't think that uh, our two lead parents want to come back. Right? You know, I, I mean, that's that's all it felt like to me. It, it felt like we need to make something work, and you know, Craig T. Nelson and and. Um, Joe Beth. Jo Beth Williams won't come back,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, that's that's takes you out of the movie because that's the real world creeping into um, this fictional world. And we are we are supposed to just buy into the fictional world.
0: I think that's a very fair criticism and very much like Poltergeist 2 could have dealt with the um, death of Dominic Dunn. Um, right. In a, in a very different way just with some just with a, a few lines here or there yeah. that could have given it like a different feel or justified yeah. it you could have easily had just a few lines in the movie that could have given like a reason for Carol Ann visiting without it feeling like she was getting pawned off like i didn't necessarily get the feeling she got dumped off i mean you could have said like you know, the husband's got to go, is looking for work. They're looking for a new place to live, and they don't want to have her, like, bounce around schools. They want to have some stability. You could have easily, you could have said, like, you know, Robbie's (laughs) staying with another uncle, you know, or Mm -hmm. aunt right now while they kind of, like, just get settled in. Like, you could have done a lot of different things with a few lines. Um, I think at one point, the only thing that maybe betrays the first two movies a bit is there's a line where carol ann's like well by august i'll be back with mom and dad and bruce and patricia kind of share a look with one another and but it's
1: never touched upon again really Mm -hmm. no i I I agree i agree a hundred percent and also uh i when talking about i think real life bleeding into films and affecting them I think that that is a huge blanket over Poltergeist 3. Yeah. Because even, like, within the film, I mean, you can tell that, you know, Heather O'Rourke wasn't doing well, you know? Uh, her, yes. You know, uh, her medication was making her very bloated-looking, yeah. you know? And I. Anytime I watch Poltergeist 3, I find myself thinking about the real-life stuff more than the movie I'm watching. Yeah. Kind of like yes. films, like, even to go into other genres. I mean, you know i'm sure when they made the movie mr and mrs smith wasn't supposed to be oh let's go see the movie that broke up brad pitt's marriage you know what right. i mean like let's right you know, or or like that that awful ben affleck uh jennifer lopez movie uh you know like mm-hmm. i Chewy. think Pulter, yeah exactly i think <laughs> poltergeist 3 kind of falls unfortunately into that same thing because of all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes that oh. it kind of makes its viewer if they you know if they're you know, if they're privy to any of this information to kind of, like, pull them out of it a little bit.
2: Well, and also, yeah. like,
1: really quickly, I mean, going back to that whole kind of flip side thing that we were talking about, I think it even goes as far as the score. I mean, the first two films had that yes. great Jerry Goldsmith music, and yeah. in this one we get Joe Renzetti, which, I mean, mm-hmm. his score works for the film, but it has such a very different approach. I mean, this is the guy that scored Vice Squad, you know, Child's Play, Frankenhooker, both Basket Case 2 and 3. You know, there's a very different dynamic that kind of plays, mm-hmm. like, into Poltergeist 3 much differently than, you know, what Goldsmith did in the first two films.
0: Right. I no, I would agree with that. This is, again, a much more of a B-movie score. And it's...
2: Yeah.
0: It doesn't um, give you that kind of, like, sweeping dynamic that Goldsmith's score did for so much of the original Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2 overall. And to your point, Jerry, it is... I'm watching this. And it was very hard to look at Heather O'Rourke and a lot of this. To a know that like she passed on so soon after filming it, like before the movie even came out, or, like such a young age. But you can tell that she's not well when she's filming well, this
1: movie. Well, and it's even, just it's even it's hard from marketing, to watch. even from a marketing mm-hmm. standpoint. I mean, I remember being a kid, and you know, uh, you know, Entertainment Tonight or whatever would do this behind the scenes thing of Poltergeist Three, but most of the whole. I, I remember this so perfectly, even, you know, tons of years later. I remember most of the focus was on, you know, Heather O'Rourke. I mean, rightfully so, you know, but it was on that. I mean, they even told the actors not to do interviews about the movie because they didn't want to talk. They didn't want to you know talk mm-hmm. on her passing. And right. I feel like maybe that made the film suffer as well, too, even from a mm-hmm. box office standpoint. is because, you know what I mean? Like, it, it kind of gives you this kind of weird kind of wrong feeling watching this movie and I I don't even the film's actual merits I mean just like the real life kind of stuff Mm -hmm.
2: no you're right like when I was a kid and we watched these movies I don't know how these rumors got started in my school um because it was prior to the internet so it it I don't know how kids come up with what they come up with but um (laughs) <laughs> there there are scenes um that were that were reshot, right? So after yeah. her passing there were scenes that were reshot where um for example Tom Skerritt is holding uh Carol Ann and the face is never shown and that was more than likely a reshoot or perhaps Carol um, Heather O'Rourke was sick. Um I don't know, for sure, but I, I do know that they did use another um another child during the reshoot and um when I was a kid it, there were rumors going around that they uh, used her body so like it, it became like this really grotesque morbid um association with this movie that actually while it is sterile and while it is cold and while it has its down its down bits I mean, some of the effects are really riveting and the story is not that bad. So it's it it was hard to kind of pull away from, you know, like you said, just just the uh, this the overall sadness of what happened to Heather. Well, it's, like, as as entertaining
1: as Twilight Zone the movie is, like, I find it so incredibly hard to watch because of that whole clusterfuck that happened to Vic Morrow, Uh you know? And I I think it's an interesting thing to talk about, you know, uh, just how outside... Uh, factors play into a film and how it's received. I mean, even though I mean I am one of the first people that will chime in on how much I just don't care for Poltergeist three. The more I talk about it, there there are quite a few merits to this movie. I mean, it's in no way the first two films, but I think maybe that that's where my appreciation for what this movie is and letting it exist on its own. Kind of suffers is because it's the outside stuff kind of affected me with this movie right from childhood. You know, I can't think of I can't think of Poltergeist three without thinking of the movie that Heather O'Rourke died basically while making, you know, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: it's kind of like like, you know, there's a million and forty five quadrillion reasons Mm -hmm. to hate Jaws the Revenge. But watching Jaws: The Revenge, I just think of the little girl who got murdered after making it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it's difficult for me to separate the two.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, and it's she's and unlike I would say like unlike the first movie where she disappears about thirty minutes in and then comes back for the last act. Like she is so much a part of this movie, and, and it's like really in your face. Um, so much just like so her that- deterioration.
2: Yeah, like so much so that the lines that we heard in the background, like, um, mommy, I can't see you, mommy, I can't hear mm-hmm. you. You literally see her face say it in this movie mm-hmm. yeah. where, yeah, it's just it's a complete 180. Yeah.
0: And also for a fun little drinking game, put oh. on any two minute stretch of this movie. And every time someone says Carol Ann or Carol-Ann. just yells her name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um take a shot. And honestly, within about three minutes, like your liver will not <laughs> just quit, like your liver will expel itself from your body in
1: protest. I was reading that uh when I think it was Siskel that went to see the movie, he was so annoyed by how many times they were saying names <laughs> that at one point he started calling names back to the screen.
2: <laughs> well, I read that her name was said 121 times in this movie that is what but nine less than 90 minutes um it's it's a lot of times to say a name it Jeez. really
0: is yeah it was it was a bit excessive at times so um the other weird thing i talk about how much i like the family dynamic overall oh one moment i did like And Jerry, this kind of goes to your comparison to Rachel in Halloween 4. Rachel has that moment where she has to cancel her date, and she gets really upset. And she's like, well, she's not even my sister, and like she's ruining it. And then when... When Jamie hears that, you know, Rachel's very apologetic and very sweet to her. There's this moment where Donna is on the phone with her friend and Carol Ann is standing in the doorway listening. And she's like, Well, she's not really my family, and it's really dumb. I gotta watch her tonight. It's really stupid. But you know, what are you gonna do? She's not even really my cousin, and then hangs up. And when she sees her there, she's like, You know, I only said that to sound cool, right? And Carol Ann is like, yeah, I get it. Why don't you just go to the party? Like, it's a sweet little moment. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it is very believable um, in terms of you could see a 15, 16 year old girl doing that.
1: See That is believable. That is really believable, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not trying to turn this into an episode, uh, you know, going way back to our Halloween series. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing that always annoyed the shit out of me in Halloween Four. as much as I love it. It's like, dude, you're you're complaining about having to watch Jamie, this kid who lost her mother. Yeah, like a mm-hmm. few months ago. Because you're pissed that you're going to you can't go hang out with Brady, which is one of the most vanilla boring fucking characters of all time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, at least at least Donna in Poltergeist three, like her friends, I mean, they're kind of you know, they're doofuses, but at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, it makes sense. Well, what's funny about this movie, it takes a lot of
0: weird turns overall, where, like, it becomes a John Hughes coming-of-age teen comedy for a little bit, where like... If you take the ghost out of it... Exactly. (laughs) You still have a... a, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you have, like, some real, like, kind of soft-core eroticism with whatever um, Zelda Rubenstein is doing. I don't know, it just gets me going. Yeah, no,
2: it's hot. I get it. (laughs)
1: Uh, you know, don't don't speak of, of the deceased, I guess, but at the same time, you wonder at this point she was just like, I'm doing poltergeist three, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm an older woman, I'm doing poltergeist three. I'm tired of, you know, exercising these demons and you know, I, I haven't gotten I haven't gotten, you know, any action in a while. Because Zelda Rubenstein in three, it just sounds like everything is so just over the top erotic and sexual.
2: <laughs> and oh, and yeah. it's not
1: supposed to be. Dude, she does her
0: best like He Man Masters of the Universe. So she's like, I have the power. Oh <laughs> so much like that He Man. Like, you almost wonder if that's the cue. Like, here, watch this fucking cartoon and then do this. Um, What's funny, again, like, Brian Taggart, the writer, you know, talks about how Rubenstein could be, like, really difficult at times and really temperamental. He shared a story about the two of them going to lunch together in Los Angeles. And I guess, like, Zelda, Rubenstein had done, like, a lot of charity work for AIDS foundations. And she was part of this campaign where she was seen as almost like a... I mean, I'm probably getting this a little bit wrong, but like kind of like a den mother, like someone that like really cared for the sick and her the billboards are everywhere over los angeles at the time plus she was pretty well known from poltergeist so he and zelda were having like a lunch together and these people were kind of looking in the window and just kind of smiling and waving and she like turned and she's like what the fuck are you looking at and he's like and Bri- the writer brian was like zelda they like you like they're here because like they recognize you like this oh, is a zelda. good thing." So, she was like a take no shit kind of.
2: Well, she also lady. had like this roller coaster too, right? Where she she won the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for Poltergeist in 1982. But then once Poltergeist Two came about, she was nominated for a Razzie, and then Poltergeist Three, mm-hmm. same thing. So it's like she she had these ups and downs where she can't know if somebody's there laughing at her or you know it's it's got to be a tough ride for Zelda. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So also, I mean, I, I, I think I mean, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, I as far as casting, you know, it's it's cool that Zelda Rubinstein came back and, you know, Heather O'Rourke did, uh, you know, it's a it, it's a bummer that they had to recast Kane. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we know why know. But at the same time, I think Nathan Davis did a really good job with the character, you mm-hmm. know, given the circumstance, because the characters really yeah. not written that great this time around. Yeah. You know, like it's, Nathan Davis was so good in, in Thief, which is one of my right. favorite movies of all time. You know, he's, so it's it's kind of cool to see him in this one.
0: He's not given a lot to do, and that's one of the notes I made. Is that Kane goes from being this very multi layered villain, um, who. Is creepy because he believes so strongly in a cause. Like, even in life, he believes so strongly in a cause that he led hundreds of people to their death for it. Mm-hmm. And there is, like, the, you know, the real creepiness about him is there is a lot of truth in the things that he says to the Freelings overall. It's just very warped and twisted, and it's such a performance. And here... Kane is you know, Nathan Davis, who the makeup, by the way, which was um, overseen by Dick Smith, apparently, like he did a lot yeah. of creative consulting for Poltergeist mm-hmm. three. Um, the makeup is he looks terrifying, but it's a very one dimensional villain. He just yells Carol Ann over and over again and tries to kidnap her. Mm-hmm. That kind of like that kind of like devil trying to like sow seeds of discontent in Poltergeist 2, that's not here in this movie. And I kind of maybe get why they did it, because you had to recast the actor for it, so you know you're going to have like a lot of differences in the voice and the look. Um, but I think it does a little bit of a disservice overall to the overall story.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I, I, the the closest I could think of as far as comparisons uh, with Kane between 2 and 3 is kind of pinhead in the first couple Hellraisers mm-hmm. versus the later ones. Mm-hmm. You know, you go from this this antagonist that is very frightening and interesting and just really enthralling to in the later Hellraiser movies, he's like, oh, he's popping up, he's there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah. th- that's exactly what I think of every time I see Poltergeist three and Kane. It's like he went from like one, in my opinion, one of the scariest villains ever to to basically. You know, and, and no offense to these movies, but basically like, you know, a conjuring demon or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, <clears throat> you know,
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: So, I mean, there are some very creepy moments overall. And um, I, again, that makeup on him is fantastic. The face melting scene, I think we'll talk about the effects here shortly. The mm-hmm. face melting scene is top fucking notch overall. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's mm-hmm. just not a lot of meat to the bone on the character this time around.
1: No, totally. I agree. Yeah.
0: So, what do we think overall of the, I think, you know, was, and again, I think with Poltergeist 3, there's not a hell of a lot to talk about overall. I think we've said a lot of positive things so far, and I think the first two acts are pretty positive overall. It kind of goes off the rail in that third act a bit. Like, I don't think they had a lot of clear direction of
1: what they wanted to do overall. With this I think because what it became I think what it becomes especially in that third act is uh something that special effects junkies will I mean you know bust a nut over uh <laughs> but at the same time as far as like storytelling and stuff it suffers it's very yes. impressive it's very very in, uh, impressive special effects wise that third act you know mm-hmm. it's very just it's larger than life you know so much happens and it's visually so striking but when you don't have that emotional core of those characters and what they're going through, mm-hmm. it basically just becomes a highlight reel of great special effects. That yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Tangina's death
0: scene is great
2: Yes, overall.
0: Yeah. Um it's edited a little bit weird, but would you get that corpse and then Donna like crawls her way through it, almost like she's crawling out of the dirt, Oof, almost like yeah. crawling from the grid, That's a, like, yeah. that was a completely unexpected moment. Like I had to go back and rewind it again, like holy shit, what just happened there? Like that was a fantastic effect.
2: Yeah. We
3: talked about uh, kinder trauma moments from Poltergeist 2 last week. That was the one for me. When that hand oh. comes out of her face, uh, when I saw that as a little kid, that freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. That's- and uh, then my dad said something like hey it looks like she's covered in raisin bran mm-hmm. and so that sort of you know, that helped. <laughs> it, did,
0: you know it, it did look a little bit like a bread bowl um, yeah. well that's, that's what like,
3: <laughs> if, if you on the on the screen factory blu-ray uh, they actually did do that they they did a, a negative mold and they had they used this brown wax for for the core for the for the I guess the shell of it but then and they used like pizza dough and pie crust and these sorts of things to, to fill it in i thought that was that was interesting so that my dad was more of a special effects guy than he knew. <laughs> but the,
0: it, it, it's a weird shift. Like, number one, like we talked about, or I talked about how much I liked the family dynamic and how warm I thought they were to one another overall originally. Mm-hmm. But then in act three, like Patricia takes this weird turn where she's like, get rid of the little bitch. Like,
2: yeah.
0: Act, and it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, You know, well, it kind of like, it's like almost like you have taken this weird right hand turn as a giant sign that says plot device right here because she is so kind to Carol throughout the whole movie. And then all of a sudden, she's like, get pack her bags and get rid of her. We have no use for her.
3: Well, it's so much of a shift to me that I, it's so much of a shift to me that I, even these last two times viewing it recently and then, then yesterday, was. Is she possessed?
2: Right. was she possessed? Was Was she a mirror person? Like I thought the same. I'm like, did did I miss something? Did she go through a mirror too? Like what's going on?
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, in speaking of possession, you have like Donna and Scott, who are like these. Like at one point, like Scott rips off parts of Donna's face, and you're like, what's going on here? And then that's never really touched upon again. Like what? So it sort
2: of is. Like on the backs. So the lettering on the backs of their jackets, right? So they are the mirror images mm-hmm. of themselves. And Donna comes back. But where the fuck did Scott go? Did we just lose Scott? I think I, we you lost know. Scott. I, I,
1: I've read so many things about the, uh, the lack of Scott with uh, yeah. no explanation. I think that that's like a very big... This plot hole that that they it's just so forgot crazy, about. As a like, kid,
2: I just didn't even it didn't register. I'm like, everyone's happy again. But rewatching this recently, I'm like, where the fuck is this guy? Like, did this? Mm-hmm. Okay, like, bye, it's, Scott. It's, it's it's where's,
3: where's Paul at the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part Two? Right? Where's Paul? Where's
2: Paul?
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Scott, Man. Paul,
0: and I can't think of the other character in Friday the 13th part two who's at the bar. Like they're all at that bar. Oh,
3: yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think Scott is like in his bedroom putting out rose petals and waiting for Donna to come down. <laughs> oh, By the way, like, what's the name of Scott's sister? Is that Melissa? I can't think of who the little girl is that plays Are They Scott just call her Mouth. Yeah. yeah. I don't think i ever wanted to see a character like get punched in the face (laughs) like some little sidekick she is so (laughs) fucking annoying um i just (laughs) wanted to see her like get absolutely dropped with like a tyson hook to the nose like oh that would have just brought me she is
1: so fucking annoying it just—it seems like the movie just kind of towards that third act just didn't know where the hell they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But they also wanted to, you know, they must have been kind of cocky. But they also wanted to leave it open to a new one, mm. you know, you know, where the lightning's flashing and you can hear Kane <laughs> laughing again, yeah. which like renders Cute. the entire movie pointless. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and if we're talking about you know the outside stuff affecting the product, I mean that's the only thing in the movie that's somewhat offensive to me. It's just like, we know that Heather O'Rourke died while making this movie Mm. and they end it with the antagonist laughing. Like, it's just, uh, you know, but like, Uh. no, the movie, you know, as much shit as I talk about it, the movies, it's, it's entertaining, you know, it's a fun, entertaining movie. I just Mm -hmm. think it, it, it tries to sit on the shoulders of two very good movies that have stood the test of time for decades. Whereas the third one, I mean, I think I've met three people in my entire life that likes it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Speaking on the Poltergeist curse, uh, you know, I don't want to get super into that again because I I just don't buy it. But it is interesting if if you do believe that. I mean, there was some interesting stuff while making the movie. You know, they had this huge parking garage, that whole parking garage part with the snow and stuff. I mean, there was like an explosion that like six cars caught on fire. A whole bunch of people got injured. And like Mm -hmm. there was like... I think a quarter of a million dollars damage to the building, you okay. know, it, and
2: you don't buy it, Jerry, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's throwing itself at you. <laughs>
1: I'll buy the poster from
2: the poster, right? <laughs> the poster oh, for okay. the
1: second one. I'll okay. buy that. All right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is interesting to, to, to think about well. I think the other thing
0: too, there's a deleted scene from this movie where Ralph from Friday the 13th shows up and <laughs> goes in Carol Ann's room and goes, It's got a death curse. <laughs> so I'm gonna say these <laughs> movies <are> first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian, uh, go ahead I'll, I'll just try to unmute Brian and see how that
3: goes. All right, yeah, I think my computer's fan is going or something. Yeah. Is that is that any better? It's a little bit better.
0: We're kind of coming to the end here, so we're um, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. So yeah, you know, overall, like I enjoyed this movie more than I thought. I really thought this was going to be something on par with, like, say, Jason Takes Manhattan for me, or you know, Halloween Resurrection, which are just movies I don't really enjoy all that much. And Mm. I found that there was a lot more good than bad. And I found that it does try to do some creative things overall, but, um, I'll say this, like one area that I think you can see, because in the first two, in the first poltergeist movie, you don't really see the other side. Mm -hmm. You get these lights that represent it in the second movie. It's kind of represented as this kind of, kind of generic depiction of the afterlife overall with like bright Mm -hmm. lights and they're floating around here in poltergeist three, You know, I don't think that it would be too much to say that you could see how things like Insidious and The Further or even like Stranger Things and The Upside Down would have Mm -hmm. been influenced by the way that the other side is depicted in this movie where, to speak to your point of the coldness, like everything is covered in layers of ice. It's the same world as ours. It's a mirror world except... Everything is covered in these layers of cold ice and snow. And I think you can see that influence two decades down the road in
1: kind of works that followed the Poltergeist series. I love how, uh, I love the coldness of that being the kind of other side, you know, because when we think of like the other side or, you know, hell or whatever you want to call it, it's always like something hot. It's Mm -hmm. always something, you know what I mean? And I, I like the aesthetic of, of just coldness and just this very kind of somber kind of, you know, morose kind of tone to what the other side is in this movie, you know, like I I like that kind of that not being able to watch this movie without wearing a, a hoodie, even if you're <laughs> watching it during yeah. the summer, you know, it's a very cold, chilly movie.
0: Yeah, I would say that's a really good depiction. And I think it's very much of its time, like 1988, you know, I think when you look back and what was valued back then, like where it was like very much a very, it's a big period for consumerism overall, um... Mm -hmm. You know, I would say that a lot of the 80s, when you compare them with the 60s and 70s and, like, free love and whatnot, you have, like, a much more sterile time period, especially in the late 80s overall, coming out of the Reagan administration and now into the Bush the first years. I think Mm -hmm. that you definitely see that. So I don't have anything else to say about Poltergeist 3. If there are any other, you know, final comments or, or thoughts, like, what are we
1: thinking right now? I think how different Poltergeist 3 ended up being really kind of alienated a lot of people that loved the first two films and mm-hmm. I think that that really showed in the box office. You know, the movie cost almost 10 million to make and it it, it I think it pulled in maybe 14. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in a lot of ways that was pretty much the nail in the coffin of the series. Mm-hmm. And while I do appreciate the risky takes and you know, angles that they did in this movie, I think it maybe for the uh, like most viewers, it was a little too much. And I think that that's kind of that's definitely somewhat of a tragedy in my eyes because the potential for this, the series, I think, started out so I mean, it was so big, you know, and you know, we waited all these years and then, uh, you know, eventually what did we get? Like a full on reboot, you know, mm-hmm. with something that to be honest. I think is a little more offensive to me than Poltergeist 3 is. You know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Guys Three. As as much as I'm not a huge fan of it, I can appreciate its merits. It doesn't feel like you know a really bad bar band doing a cover version of of one of your favorite movies, which mm-hmm. is the remake. Wow. You know,
2: this is I, so I exciting because think- I haven't watched the remake. So because I held the first three movies, even the third is very dear to me as part of my childhood and um, my teen years. It was just my movie. It was my my series. So I haven't watched. The remake, oh, wow. so I'm pretty stoked to watch this next week, you guys.
3: Yeah. Awesome. I have seen the remake. I'm not that stoked to watch it.
2: Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I've, watched, I've watched the first 20 minutes of the remake, and it's going to be a bit of a... I, it, you know what? I'm going to reserve judgment, because what do I know? Um, but <laughs> the first 20 minutes didn't really fill me with a lot of
1: hope. Right. Um but, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, what can you do? Um, also, really, I mean, going. I, really, I'm, I should have said this earlier because, I mean, we're wrapping it up. But that Screen Factory release mm-hmm. d- in, in the deleted scenes in that, don't they have the original ending where they Scott do. Scott is kind of explained in that one?
2: Oh, what happens? Well, I mean,
1: the, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say the original frozen. ending. Yeah, they're all frozen. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh. Oh, and then it shows
1: Carol like, body and everybody else's.
0: So. so both movies end pretty much the same way in that Tangina tells Kane, like, look, I have the power to lead you to the light. Like, you don't need Carol Ann for I'm sorry, the- you do
2: have to do Tangina's accent when you, when you explain this. I have <laughs> the power! Amazing, good.
0: Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, so Tangina is the one that leads to, and you know and the big thing about it is, is throughout the movie it's told that Carol Ann can't cross over as long as someone lo- that's still alive loves her and it's pretty obvious that, like, her uncle loves her. If nobody yes, else sure. like does, like, he abandons his wife and daughter to find Carol because he knows it's the right thing to do. And I don't think you get the, you know, I think at one point, and I think this is why maybe it feels like Carol Ann was pawned off by the Freelings, is, you know, Cain and Carol Ann's disguise basically says well i was pawned off and no one loves me and no one wants me Mm -hmm. and he's trying to like get something he wants but i think again that's the devil doing the devil's work there um but tangina ends up but leading them in both versions to the light in the deleted scene um it's a really creepy effect like you see carol ann frozen Mm -hmm in this block of ice and her mouth is all it's almost like that scene from the ring where the girl is oh in the gosh. closet. Yeah it almost yeah. looks like that. It's a blank if you miss it moment. It's not quite as grotesque, but it's still pretty fucked up.
2: Oh, I don't want yeah, to see that. That's that why, but
1: thank yeah that's you. why they reshot it because of yeah her death and
0: stuff. Yeah that's yeah. fucked. To me like the poltergeist trilogy, you have a movie that's a classic first movie and it didn't really need to be a series. Like the first movie is such a great self contained story in and of itself that it didn't really need anything else to tell the story after. And I like the second movie a lot. And Mm -hmm. like I said, last week, I would probably pick that one off the shelf before the first movie. If for no other reason than it's 35 minutes shorter, Um, (laughs) you know, because I think both are very good movies. Um, And I just felt like maybe the second and third movie, you didn't necessarily need them. I'm glad they're there. I'm glad we covered them overall. Um, But there's a reason why that first movie is such a classic. And it's because it was directed by Steven Spielberg. Kidding. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Joking. Every time. What's amazing. It's like every. Because again, I don't really have a skin in that fight at all. Mm -hmm. But. I think I tweeted Jerry earlier this week, (laughs) something, you know, even people that defend Toby Hooper um, and say, well, he directed it. Even the people that defend it will say like, yeah, it was a collaboration. Like Spielberg did a lot, but it's a Hooper movie. Like no one ever says like, no, Spielberg did nothing with it. You're out of your mind. It's always like, yeah, it was like 50, 50, but anytime you, I ever do something that remotely suggests that there's like these poltergeist fan accounts that like <laughs> come out of the way and they send me this massive that I'm like I I'm not gonna read through all this dude all right all right no you win. I'm like and like God love you for the passion but sure. can you imagine if we took that passion and <laughs> turned it towards like solving healthcare
2: mm. right. <laughs> No, it's about poltergeist.
0: You know, like, oh, my God, like, like, it's not that important. Plus, and I said this to Jerry, like, this is like, I think, Jerry, you said it was to Craig T. Nelson. Like, because you had shot me this, like, Craig T. Nelson said, like, no, I remember, like, this was being like a a Hooper movie. He directed it. How much of the early 80s do you think Craig T. Nelson was?
1: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wasn't it someone else? Like, I can't remember who, but, like, one of the funniest, I think, pro uh, Hooper angles was, like, yeah, someone said that, you know, that smoking weed thing, that was 100% Hooper. <laughs> and it's just, like, while I believe it, it, like, Toby Hooper directed it, I'm a firm believer of that. Like, mm-hmm. explaining your opinion on Toby Hooper directing it because there's pot smoke in it. Yeah. Like, Like, you know, maybe if there was Dr. Pepper and cigars, then yes, but, (laughs) you know, like, even in the 80s, who wasn't smoking pot, you know? Right.
0: But (laughs) I got to imagine, like, and look, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble, but I have to imagine Craig T. Nelson did, like, a lot of cocaine in the 80s. Because everybody did. Like, that's not to disparage Craig T. Nelson, but, like, they were giving kids cocaine at fucking grade schools back then. Yeah, (laughs) it
2: came in my Happy Meal. Like, it was... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thing. or did more yeah.
1: than like Richard Pryor, probably.
2: Right.
0: <laughs> like in 1984, like you could order a happy meal with cocaine instead of fries. Right. Wait, <laughs> I want to say
2: something about Richard Pryor. It's funny that you say that because, um, so I was looking up Richard fire too, right? Richard fire, the, um, Dr. Um, whatever his name is in this mm-hmm. film, I already lost it. Doctor <laughs> Dr. Yes. Dr. Seaton who wrote Henry, Portrait of a serial killer. And I wanted to make sure it was the right person that I was addressing. So I Google image searched Richard Fire. And you're gonna get a lot of Richard Pryor hits on that. So mm. maybe don't do that if you want oh, to do dear. a little research on your own, guys. Heads up.
1: Oh Lord. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Nope. Don't do it.
0: <laughs> now I am doing that.
2: Don't mind.
0: Let's Mike. see what comes up. <laughs> Let's see what comes up. I'm getting like, nope, I'm getting a lot of just Richard Fire pictures, you know, oh, like just the way. pictures okay, I well, get of Richard Pryor, like he's looking pretty handsome.
2: Okay. You know, okay. Keep going. Sure. I, <laughs> don't throw keep throw you know, don't egg that on, don't egg that
0: on. <laughs> let's, let's keep going. Uh, I'm getting an ad for Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. Well, Richard you're getting close to that direction.
2: Yeah, all we're right. getting
0: there. <laughs> a, yeah, I don't know, man. I just... <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop. <laughs>
2: Lay that down.
0: Or I find something that I can't unsee.
2: Yeah. All right. Go.
0: Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed our coverage of the OG Pr- Poltergeist trilogy. We have one more movie left. The 2015's Poltergeist reboot starring, oh shit, Sam Rockwell. Northwell.
2: Yeah, it can be bad.
0: Always a plus. It, it can be. <laughs> it can't. Um, just those. I'm going to go watch this tonight. I think I'm going to try to awesome. go finish this tonight. Um, but you know, for folks that have enjoyed what we're doing, go ahead and give us a follow over at um, Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter. Drop us a line. Tell us your favorite haunted house. Thing. Tell us your favorite Richard Pryor setting himself on fire while on a Coke binge story. <laughs> More
2: so, than one.
1: <laughs> I don't know if we want to announce this now or wait a little bit, but we have a series coming up after this that is completely different than Poltergeist. So we're trying to switch things up a little.
0: So, what are we doing next, Jerry? I think, Jerry, you had
1: an idea. Let's vote yes. on this right now. What yes, did you like? I to? cannot wait because it is one of my favorite franchises ever. After Poltergeist wraps up, we are tackling critters
3: <gasps> i love critters with the passion. you know i watched or i watched the first critters for the first time yesterday oh my god dude oh. yeah
1: I have never seen a Critters movie.
3: Oh what? Three.
1: Three are amazing. Four is ah. And the new one is a lot of fun. But we do get DiCaprio in one of his first roles. Uh-huh. In- yeah. So I, yeah. I'm like, so so-
2: oh, wow. What a shift. You're right.
1: <laughs> so can we, if we do
0: Critters, and that's what, five movies all together? Uh Yes. Will we wrap that up in time to get Alien out for Alien Day this year? I think so. Okay. We well, might have to do two in one week. Maybe we have to like just like yeah, do some can... double duty if we have to double or Yeah, we might have to like do, you know, two episodes in one week type of deal overall. Um So what else should listeners be on the look, listen out for the lookout for the listen out for I might for Valentine's Day, just do like a fan commentary for say anything, which is not horror related.
2: It feels like you're really passionate about this, Mike, and don't let the naysayers stop you. You need to hold that record player over your head and just let it go, man. See, you could do that
1: You could do a fan commentary for Say Anything And I'll just do an audio track of me Listening to the band say anything <laughs>
2: <laughs> And I'll just record myself saying Anything So
0: <laughs> uh, I am Looking forward to that first person Telling me that like Lloyd Dobler perpetuates rape culture And me just losing my Fucking mind at that point like, me. I mean
2: to be fair No just kidding kidding. <laughs>
0: He gave her his heart. She gave him a pin. So right now there's been like close to there's like less than a day left to vote. And by the time this goes up, you can still vote over on Twitter for it. Uh, It's about almost
1: three quarters of saying, yes, go ahead and do this. Um, oh, and really quickly, uh, listeners, uh, the Rondo Award nominees came out and were not nominated, just to let you know. Yeah. But some other, some other shows have <laughs> um,
0: been. I didn't expect uh, for us to get nominated. No, no,
1: I, I'm joking 100%.
0: 100%. I will say this. Like back when I ran All Things Horror and we published about 250 posts a year um, and had like eh, – For a blog, like 30,000 hits a month, which I thought was pretty good for a one mostly one-person thing. And every year, the rondos would come out, and a site that maybe posted eight times a year, like maybe 30 times a year, would get like nominated for best horror blog, it was the same sites every year. And I would get really mad.
1: I would get super
0: frustrated. Oh no, it's just because we
2: blew the people in charge. Like it's fine, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, like, for me, for me, it's it's funny because like this last year, I've written so much, and I don't even mean that like pat myself on the back, like um, like unhealthy amount. Like I think like I don't know twenty five or thirty magazine pieces, like oh, by shit. themselves. And so when the nominees came out, I had a few people be like, what the fuck? You're not nominated? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I didn't expect to be. But I mean, nah. at the same time, it's like,
0: oh, that's cool. It would have been nice. Kind of would have been nice. I like yeah. Critters. Critters. <laughs> so we're yeah. critters Let's sink all, all right. our
2: money into Critters, you guys.
0: All right. So up next, we have Poltergeist and then Critters and then probably Alien at that point. Yes. And then Final Destination. Oh,
2: oh.
0: How
3: I'm fun. Down. I'm I'm
2: down
0: for <laughs> final destination. Yeah. yeah. Devin's so stash. So I feel cold.
3: like you have jumped over Brian. Hey, you know, I it's good, man. What whatever whatever's best for the show. Mm-hmm.
2: Let's let's pull Devin in too. Devin will come on huh? for Final Destination, right? Let's, sure. Just, What's I best for that. the
0: show is we start recording pantsless. <laughs>
2: you haven't you yeah. haven't been? Uh, wait a
0: minute, yeah. Am I the one holding us up on that? All right, Jerry has to go buy a refrigerator. I have to go feed the pets. Um, So everyone have a great night. I'm going to go edit and we are done.
2: Calan. 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 Oldest. Carolan. Calan. Pretty? Carolan speaks.
0: Carolan. Please, Calan. 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 Cal-an, Cal-an.
2: Please, Cal-an. 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 Cal-an.
1: Caroline. 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 Caroline, come here. Caroline! You, right.
3: Caroline! Caroline's drowning! She's drowning! Where? Where?
0: Caroline! Donna. Caroline! You're safe now. Caroline!
3: Where? Where? Caroline! Where? Where? Where is she? Darlin. She's drowning! Darlin. What does it matter anymore? Caroline! Take care of her for a minute, please. Carolean!
0: Okay. Drowning. She's drowning. Maybe you I'm gotta drowning. get a hold of yourself.
2: Uh, I can't deal with this anymore. No, with Maybe she's your
0: knee. Caroline! Bruce! Caroline!
2: Carolyn! Caroline! Carolyn!
0: carolyn Caroline! Carolin. 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 Carolin.
3: Damn. Carol Ann. (laughs)